Well, good morning, everybody, and Happy New Year. Sure is great to see everybody today. Good-looking crew here at uh, Hillcrest Nine Mile. Welcome to those of you that are joining with us this morning at Spanish Trail. Happy New Year to you and to those of you that are worshiping with us in our online community all over the place. I got a text just a few minutes ago from the Van Eiderstein family who the, their youngest daughter, many of you may know, is, uh, has been in the hospital up at UAB in Birmingham for many weeks now, and they're still there uh, tending to her needs as she continues to prove and, and develop. And uh, she sent me, a, Joanna did, sent me a text this morning of all of them around the computer screen today watching us online. So let's put our hands together and welcome everybody, but the Van Eidersteins especially. Love you guys. Hey, love everybody in the house today. Love everybody at Spanish Trail. It's going to be a wonderful year, wonderful year behind us. Great prospects for a wonderful year ahead. Our Bibles are open to Matthew chapter 28, one passage of Scripture today, very familiar one. As we begin a new uh, four-part January start uh, to our new year, four-part series of messages uh, that we're calling Master Plan. And what we want to do is take a look by way of reminder in many respects, or maybe be very informative to many of us in the house, of what the primary purpose of our church is, really what the primary purpose of your individual life is, and that is, of course, to be about the business of becoming a disciple, growing as a disciple, and then making disciples. We're calling our series Master Plan because that's what we're going to be briefly unpacking both here in our worship gatherings as well as in our adult connect group gatherings as well. Some of y'all have come out of 815 Connect Group. You've already had a discussion this morning uh, about the subject of personal discipleship. And so we're going to be heavily influenced by that uh, in all of our gatherings, big and small, at Hillcrest through the month of January. And we want to ask the question, what is God's master plan, both for his church and for our lives as his people individually. And the answer to that question uh, is found in the subheading of this series, God's master plan for the church is that of disciples making disciples. Would you say that together with me? Together, disciples making disciples. Now today I want to begin this new year reminding you of why we're here as a church, and then we'll build on that in the three weeks that are to come. I don't know about you, personally, uh, particularly at this season of my life, uh, I find that reminders are both good and helpful uh, because if you're like me, you're realizing that you have come into this world uh, with um, the outfitting of what I call a very good forgetter. Can I have an amen? Uh, we are broken people. And part of our brokenness as we progress in age is the fact that we can't remember anything anymore, or at least less so with each uh, passing year. Anybody else in here struggle with forgetfulness? Can I have an amen this morning? Um, Judy and I were cleaning out my study at home, and uh, we moved into our house about 13 years ago, and you know the last time my study was cleaned out? Never. Um, we moved into it and have never cleaned it out. And I've acquired all this stuff, and uh, of course, a lot of it went straight into file 13. 
Um, but I remember over the New Year holiday pulling out two or three things and saying, you know what I said? Oh, that's where it is. That's where I put it. I ordered a pack of air filters for my refrigerator, little square air filter. It was cheaper to buy three. But when you don't replace them every six to 12 months, Judy said, well, what are you going to do with those other two? And I said, well, I don't know, but it was cheaper to get three. I, I won't be able to find them in six months. And so, I mean, does that happen to anybody else? Amen. Well, that's why we need to be reminded from time to time. I just find that's true as a pastor. God's people specifically, people in general, need to be reminded from time to time what's really important. A week or so ago, I was doing some devotional reading, and I was in the little book of 2 Peter. And I noticed, as I have read that book, little letter, hundreds of times through the years, and I was reminded that when Peter starts 2 Peter, he's reminding his readers of some very elemental stuff about following Christ. I mean, the first 12, 15 verses, there, there's, there's not much in there that's what I would call dynamic. It's all basic Christianity 101. And then you get down to verse 12, and here's what he says. Watch this. Peter says, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you now know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of what? Now that's a preacher talking right there who understands his audience. These are things that you already know, but you may not necessarily be doing a whole lot with what you know. And this is why it's important to keep reminding us of the same basic truths oftentimes because the elementary stuff that we think we know is sometimes the very things that we need the most improvement in. As the old adage um, goes, vision tends to leak. And uh, because vision leaks over time, we need to be reminded of what those first principles are so that we can stay together and make sure that we're pulling in the same direction, in the right direction. And the first Sunday of the new year is always a great time to do some review, to review some important first principles, keep us steadfast and all on the same page. So today, let's remind ourselves of our mission here at Hillcrest by taking this look from 30,000 feet. And to do that, I want you to open your Bibles, if they're not there already, to Matthew 28. Just what is the mission of the church? Well, Jesus answers that question for us in some of the last words that he gives to his followers on planet earth just after his resurrection and just before his ascension back into heaven. And here's what he says. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and what? Say it out loud. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, if you're not aware of it, that passage is one of the most important passages in the Bibles as it relates to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because these are among the last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples. Jesus, of course, had been surrounded by countless numbers of massive throngs all throughout his ministry. 
Luke goes out of his way to tell us that the crowds were so thick at times, in the, particularly in the first 18 months of Jesus' earthly ministry, that crowds were trampling other people to get to Jesus. That's how popular he was. When we get to the end of the gospel, Jesus has about 120 hardcore disciples. Out of all those crowds, many who came just to see the religious show, to see one miraculous act after another, but when it came time to gauge the cost of Christianity and the cost of following Jesus, many of them just vanished into the winds. And at the, on the other side of the crucifixion, 120 out of all of those thousands and thousands of admirers, all of those thousands and thousands of followers with a small letter F, only 120 remained. And to those 120 sure enough disciples, those sure enough followers with a capital F, Jesus gives these words, by the power of the Spirit, I want you to go and make disciples. You disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them. Teach them to observe everything that I have commanded you. We call that the great commission of our Lord and Jesus Christ. And I like that. I like to call it the great co-mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord could save anybody he wanted to, all by himself. Does the Lord need any of us to accomplish his purposes? No, but he chooses to use us. And we're delighted to be called. One of the greatest delights, joys, privileges of my life is to know that I've been called by God to be a co-laborer in the vineyard in terms of taking the gospel to men and women and introducing them with the, to the gospel message, seeing people saved, and then walking on them, or walking with them, hopefully we don't walk on them, but we walk with them on a journey whereby we all grow together in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Two things stands out in the Great Commission. The first is obviously the word go, go and make disciples of all nations. And so go is the first word of the Great Commission. And that implies, of course, that we have a mission outside of this gathering. You have a mission outside of your connect group. You have a mission outside of your small group. We have a mission out in the larger world as it is. Jesus refers to us as salt and light in Matthew chapter 7. You are the salt of the earth. And salt doesn't do any good when it's still contained in the container, in the shaker. It has to get out of the shaker. Dustin Scott preached up here several weeks ago. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, out of his back pocket, he whipped out a salt shaker. How many of you remember that? And he gave us that visual illustration. Salt doesn't do any good right in here. You've got to get it in contact in order for it to be influential. So that's the first word of the Great Commission. Same is true with light. Light, Jesus said, does nobody any good if it's what? Hidden under a bushel. I used to sing it as a kid. Hide it under a bushel? No! I'm going to let it shine. So you have to remove the shading in order for light to shine. For light to do any good to anybody, it has to be exposed, right? So this is the what. We are to engage the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, penetrating the darkness with the light of life. That's the what of the Great Commission. And then kind of the how is explained in the next part of it, and that is to make disciples. We are to go, go and do what? Go and make disciples of all nations. And really, to be honest with you, that is the purpose of the church. That's the purpose of 
the church. Why does the church of the Lord Jesus, not just Hillcrest, but the church, every local church, regardless of what shingle is on the signage, regardless of how the church identifies itself denominationally or non-denominationally for that matter, regardless of all of that, what's the purpose of every local church? Well, it's the same. At least it ought to be because Jesus said it. Go and what? Say it out loud. Make disciples of all nations. That's the purpose of the New Testament church. This is why we're here. Not so much to win converts, but to make disciples. Winning converts is a necessary first step in disciple making. You can't make a disciple without first winning them to Jesus Christ. But how guilty we've been through the years, decades, and beyond of winning converts and then kind of pushing them aside. And the church, the church remains shallow and the church doesn't grow for decades and decades. The average size church in the United States of America has been somewhere between 80 and 120 people. Still is today. The average size church in America today is about 120 people. And there's nothing wrong with a church of 120 people unless it's been a church of 120 people for the last 40 years. And then something might be unhealthy about that church. Something, there's no uh, rightness or wrongness in terms of the size of a given church. But a healthy church is what kind of church? A growing church, that's right. And you can measure growth in a lot of ways. But the primary measurement that Jesus gives is in terms of making disciples. This is what the church is to be about. And it's something that it's not just the pastors who are to do it. Disciples make disciples. It's everybody's responsibility, not only to be a disciple, but to be a disciple maker. Not only to grow as a disciple, but to make disciples. This command to make disciples was not given to pastors. It was given to every disciple. He's looking at the 120, and he's saying, you now go and make disciples of all nations. That's the master plan. God's master plan since the time of Christ is for his disciples to make disciples. And what is a disciple? Well, maybe it's important for us to define that so that at least we're all on the same page. Um, there's all kinds of ways to define what a disciple is. Basically, a disciple is just a learner. It's a committed learner. Uh, and it's somebody that learns through the vehicle, basically, of apprenticeship. Now, most of you understand that concept. You identify somebody that's in the know, somebody that's skilled, knowledgeable, somebody that has a certain acumen, in terms of whatever it is that they do that you would like to do, that you would like to know, that you'd like to accomplish. And you attach yourself to that person, to that master, so to speak, that expert, for the purpose of learning what he or she knows so that you can do and act as he or she does or acts. That's basically the concept of discipleship. It's learning from another. 
Now, we've been kind of focusing on this, particularly in our staff, over the last year or so, kind of as a thematic goal. And for our purposes, we've used this definition that I'm going to share with you this morning if you want to jot it down. What is a disciple? Well, a disciple, from our perspective, a disciple is a believer in Christ who follows him, learns his ways, and leads others to live biblically. That makes sense to everybody? Say amen. It's somebody who's a believer in Christ, so you need to be saved to be a disciple. And it's somebody that follows Jesus, not that knows Jesus and then decides to put him on a shelf. A disciple is somebody that believes in Jesus, follows Jesus, learns the ways of Jesus, and then leads others to live biblically. And that's what God calls each of us to do and to be And it's the very purpose of the church. It is the very purpose of Hillcrest to make disciples and to lead disciples to be about the business of making disciples. Make no mistake, Jesus' first call to his disciples was a call to follow. He went to those fishermen early in the gospels and he called them to do what? Follow me. He looks at Peter and he says, follow after me and I will make you to become fishers of men, right? That basic call that Jesus gives to everyone who would know him by faith is a call to follow him. That lies at the heart of what it means to be a disciple. But here's what I know. Not every Christian follows Jesus very closely. Isn't that right? And not every Christian is what I would call an effective disciple. Now, people want to get into these arguments. Is every Christian a disciple? And I think by biblical definition, the answer to that question is yes. Jesus doesn't call Christians. Jesus calls disciples. In fact, are you aware in the New Testament, you know how many times the word Christian is used in the whole New Testament? Twice. How many times the word disciple used in the New Testament? Almost 270 times. And so there's no question The concept of discipleship lies at the heart of what it means to know Jesus and to follow Jesus. So I believe every genuine Christian is by definition a disciple of Christ because that's the only kind of person Jesus calls. He calls followers. He calls people to attach themselves to him in order to follow him that we might become like him. But not every Christian is a very deep disciple and not every Christian even is a very effective disciple. And that's what we're here to help people become. In fact, John Ortberg in one of his books says that, the most, that most people in the church end up being more users of Christ than they are disciples of Christ. Does that make sense? In other words, more people come together. There are a lot of people who come to Christ and what they want is what they can get out of Christ. They want to get out of hell free card. Amen. They want to know that when this life is over, I'm going to heaven. So I want the promise of heaven out of Jesus. And so do I. I mean, all of us want to go to heaven who follow the Lord. But that's not the reason that Christ left. If heaven, and I've said this before, if heaven was the end all of salvation, then why in the world are we left in a broken world? Why didn't Jesus just beam us out of here like something off of Star Trek? Amen. From the moment that we chose to follow him, he didn't do that. He leaves us here because he has a purpose for us. And that purpose is, of course, to become like him. The world needs saving. And disciples lead others to become 
disciples of Christ. And so we don't want people who just want to use Christ in order to get out of hell or in order to get a nicer car, in order to get a nicer house or whatever the case might be. No, we want disciples of Christ. There are many people who identify, many of you know many people like this, who identify, if you were to press them against the wall, are, are you a believer? Oh yeah, I'm a believer. How do you identify yourself? Oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. That's how I identify myself. But they never read their Bible, never give a dime to gospel causes, only irregularly walk through the door of the congregation of God's people, but they'll be quick to identify themselves as a Christian. But I would call that a very effective disciple, would you? And so this is why Jesus leads us into this deeper calling, this deeper understanding. He calls people to follow him in radical, life-changing discipleship. And it's that process um, that we're here to help accomplish in our church at Hillcrest. In fact, let me show you on the screens this morning a little schematic. Uh, some of you heard me talk about this before, and it's worth repeating this morning because it's true. A part of our responsibility as a church is to help people along a journey. I mean, discipleship, being a disciple of Jesus, a lifetime journey. And you never really arrive until one day you leave this life, get a new body that's outfitted for the kingdom of God, and you're face to face with Jesus where you don't need to do any growing anymore. And aren't you looking forward to that day? I am too. Um, but until that time, we're leading people on a lifetime journey, and it is a lifetime journey. Nobody ever arrives. Every Sunday at Hillcrest, there are at least four different kinds of people, probably true in a crowd this big. And I want to show, this is, these are four different kinds of people that we deal with every Sunday. The first is what we might call people who are exploring Christ. These are explorers. They don't have a relationship with Jesus. There are some people in the house this morning that we might call uh, spiritually lost. In other words, they've never been what we call saved. They've never been born again. They don't have a personal relationship with Christ. Now, they may be admirers of Jesus. They may put Jesus way up there on the spectrum of great men of human history. And they may know a few things that Jesus may have taught or a few things that Jesus may have said great admirers of Jesus, some may be seeking Jesus spiritually, wanting to know how he can add value to their life, but they don't yet have a relationship with Christ. They're strangers to the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's okay. I don't know about you, I want lots of people who are on a spiritual journey trying to find truth. I want lots of people like that coming inside the doors of our church, don't you? I mean, I want people like that to feel like this is a place where God is honored and a place where they can feel welcome, a place where they're not gonna be ostracized, a place where they're not gonna be condemned immediately, even though they may not look like others when they walk in the door, they may not dress like others. They, they feel a welcome sense here because they're on a journey. They just don't know where that's gonna lead them. And we have people like that, and most churches do every Sunday. And then secondly, there are those that we might call these growing in Christ, uh, they, another way to phrase it might be babes in Christ, infants in Christ. These are people that are in the infancy stages of knowing Jesus. They're fairly new in their faith. 
If you press him the wall, they really don't know much about the Bible. Can't quote a lot of scripture. But they're very enthusiastic about wanting to do that more. They're excited to be on the journey, but they're just not very deep in the faith. They tend to get frustrated because they, don't, they can't know everything about spiritual life or spiritual vitality overnight. Have you all ever known anybody like that? Maybe you've been like that. You get frustrated because you want to know it all in a nanosecond. No, it's a lifetime journey. But they're, they're, they've gotten started. They may have a superficial understanding of the church and their involvement in the church and probably aren't connected in a small group because that intimidates the fire out of them. But they're on the journey, and they've started to grow, and they've made a profession to follow Jesus Christ. And then there's a third group. We might tag those as those being close to Christ. In other words, these are people that lion's share probably people in the room today who have made a profession in Christ. They've served the Lord for a number of years, very faithful to the church. They attend their church probably in a small group, attend a small group, love their small group. They may even serve in a ministry, sing in a choir. They've got some scripture memorized, read their Bible. They may not read the Bible every day, but they're faithful to read their Bible when they can uh, and to give fairly regularly to the church. They may not be biblical tithers, but they understand the importance of giving. And the thing about it is in most churches, the lion's share of the people who attend churches are somewhere in group two or group three. Probably the great percentage of people sitting in churches all throughout Escambia County, all over Florida, all over our country today are somewhere either in group two or in group three. There's nothing wrong with being in either of these groups. The problem lies if you settle into one of these first three groups and never move past them. Amen? Everybody know what I'm talking about. So you settle in as an infant, but 20 years later, you're still a baby drinking milk. Were there people like that in the New Testament period? Read the letters of men like Paul and Peter. Peter said, by this time, y'all ought to be teaching people and you're still drinking milk out of a bottle. So there's something wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with being in that dynamic in your spiritual life, but there is something wrong if you stay there for a significant period of time. But that's the lion's share of people. It's not that difficult to get people past stage one, over the cross, into stage two, and then get them on a journey that eventually gets them to stage three. But that's not where we want them to settle because there is a fourth group of people and it's those that we refer to as the Christ-centered people. Now, these are the people that understand the significance of being a disciple, of being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are what we might call the, <clears throat> the special forces for the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes we use terms like sold out or super committed or fully devoted. How many of you heard that term? Fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Well, this is what we mean when we talk about a Christ-centered person. When Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Those who are Christ-centered are the ones who seek the kingdom first. They, they get that. They give God the first part of every day in personal devotion. They give God the first day of every week in congregational worship and praise. 
They give God the first dime of every dollar. They're tithers typically, hyper generous in terms of how they use their money because they understand it's not their money, it's God's money. And they want to honor God with the gospel that has radically changed their life. So they give God the first part of every day, they give God the first day of every week, they give God the first dime of every dollar, they give God the first consideration in every decision rarely make a significant decision. I'm not talking about whether to buy Campbell's or Progresso in aisle number five. I don't think God cares, unless maybe if one's more expensive than the other and you can do just as well. But I know some people, I've known some people prayed over soup, amen. They take their relationship with God and their stewardship as a disciple more serious than anything else in their life. And they make it, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, they make it their goal to please him, whether at home in the body or away from it. And the drive of my life and the drive of our church is and should be to take people on a journey from one extreme along that continuum to the other. So that everybody in the house can describe themselves as a Christ-centered disciple. Fully devoted, sold out to Jesus. Not only is Jesus a big part of my life, Christ what? Is my life. And let me just say it again, Christ doesn't want to be part of your life. Did you all hear me say amen? Amen. It's not a matter, Christianity is not a matter of including Christ as part of your life. He's to be your life. He's to be your life. Christianity is Christ. Now here at Hillcrest, we fashion that into the mantra becoming like Christ. That's how we articulate our mission as a church. In fact, this is the greatest Sunday of the year to remind ourselves of what our mission and what our purpose is at Hillcrest. We're gonna put it on the screen, let's say it out loud together. Ready, together. Our mission at Hillcrest is to help people in becoming like Christ by worshiping God, connecting with others, and serving the world. Now I've said that so many times, I could say it backwards and forwards in my sleep. And we've designed that in such a way it ought to be easy. I tell people who go through our Discover Hillcrest class, you can have this thing memorized for you Uh, get back in your car tonight because what good is a mission statement you can't memorize it you just remember becoming like Christ three concepts worship connect serve and you got the whole thing memorized our mission at Hillcrest is to help people in becoming like Christ by worshiping God connecting with others and serving the world now I've unpacked those three core values several times in the life of our church and time's not going to permit us to do that this morning but you get it What we're emphasizing today is the importance of recognizing that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ who's been called to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then help others to live more biblically by being a discipler to other people yourselves. Now, if you want to know the biblical basis of this vision, it's in a passage of Scripture in Philippians 3 that I revisit 
in January every year of my life. It's one of my favorite passages of scripture. It's a guiding light and has been for many years in my life. If the Apostle Paul ever had a personal vision statement or a personal mission statement about why he felt like he was here on this earth, this is it in Philippians 3, 7 and following. Let's take a look at it. The words will be on the screen if you need it. But whatever was to my profit in my former life before Christ, I now consider what? Loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness, watch this, of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things and consider them rubbish. The the literal word there is excrement, frankly. It's a smelly word. And that's what Paul said. Everything that the world said about my life that was valuable before Christ, I now consider it as excrement that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, in my Bible, I have three phrases of that personal vision statement of Paul underlined in my Bible. He says, and I'm kind of paraphrasing, I want to gain Christ. And then he says, I want to know Christ. And then he says, I want to become like Christ. Did you pick up those statements? I want to gain Christ. I want to know Christ. I want to become like Christ. That's discipleship right there. That's what it is. First, you have to gain Christ. You have to be saved. Christ has to move into your life. He has to become your possession. You have to become his possession. I want to gain Christ. And then you begin a journey of knowing Christ. And as a disciple, knowing Christ is not just about what's up here. It's about life transformation. I want to gain Christ. I want to know Christ. I want to what? Become like Christ. And there's just no question. Now, here's Paul writing from jail, senior adult. He'd been, by the time he writes Philippians, he'd been walking with the Lord about 30 years. 30 years! And 30 years after meeting the Lord on that Damascus road... He's still writing about becoming like Christ. In fact, later on, he'll say, emphatic, I haven't attained all of this. That's a super apostle, greatest preacher since the Lord Jesus Christ in the history of the church. I'm not there yet. I haven't arrived. I'm still on the journey with all y'all. That's just a marvelously transparent statement that he wanted to deeply know Christ, to know him so deeply that his life was a reflection of Jesus. Because it's one thing to know about somebody, it's another thing to really know them. 
I mean, I know a lot of facts and figures about the president of the United States, but I don't know the president of the United States. There's a big difference between the two. I know a lot of facts and figures about Abraham Lincoln, but I never really knew Abraham Lincoln or George Washington or Winston Churchill or any of the other great men that I've admired. I could tell you a lot that I've learned in my head in reading about these great men and how they changed their world, but I never knew any of them. Aren't you thankful that of all the people who have ever lived, none is more greater than Jesus Christ, and the Bible can fill our minds with so much about who he is and what he came to accomplish and what he actually did for the whole world. But aren't you thankful this morning that you can actually not only know about the greatest and most important figure in all of human history, you can actually know him. You can talk to him every morning when you rise and every evening when you lie down. You can open up your ears and the ears of your heart and hear from him as he speaks to you. This communicating Savior who is very much alive and wants to take our lives and not leave them right where they are. That's what's beautiful about Christianity because it's knowing Christ and becoming like Christ that really sets Christianity apart from every other religion on the planet. How many of you, you probably don't even know a a Buddhist, but if you did, or if you do, how many of you know a Buddhist that said, you know what, I got up and had a great conversation with Buddha this morning. They're never gonna say that because they don't believe Buddha's alive. He's dead and buried, right? Not one Muslim would ever say, it is my life's goal to become like Muhammad. Never. They'll never say that because it's not their goal. They don't believe they can know Muhammad. They can know a little bit about his past and about some of the things that he taught, but they would make no bones about the fact, no, he's very dead and I don't make any attempt to, you talking about talking to a dead man? You know, they think you were talking about having a seance with them. No, what sets Christianity apart is this living, breathing, vital relationship with the one who stands at the heart of the faith. We can know him, and our goal is to become like him. There's no such thing as Christianity without Christ. Christianity is Christ. And our goal is to spend the rest of our lives knowing him, becoming like him, and then helping others to do the same. That's our mission at Hillcrest, to help other people along the journey as we make the journey ourselves. And not to get sidetracked, as happens in so many churches, not to get sidetracked with the busyness of the church that we miss the main thing. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Church can be a really busy place, man. We've already got the calendar, by and large, laid out at Hillcrest for 2019. And will it be a busy year? It's going to be a busy year. It's a busy year every year. And sometimes, see, my old preacher, when I was growing up, used to say, if the devil can't get you in his chokehold, he'll just make you busy. Because in making us busy, we can take our eyes off of what's really important in life. If you've ever seen, how many of you have seen the old movie Bridge on the River Kwai about World War II? Great movie. And there's a terrific scene. Basically, Bridge on the River Kwai deals with a, a group of British soldiers who were captured and interred in a 
Japanese POW camp in Burma in the latter stages of World War II. And rather than just allowing these very smart, intelligent British soldiers to, to lay fallow and to lay idle, the Japanese commandant of the POW camp decides to put them to work building a bridge. He finds out many of them are engineers. And he puts them to work building this bridge over the River Kwai for the purpose of Japanese cargo transport by train to feed the supply lines, help aid the enemy in the war. And the British soldiers take on this as a mission because it's better than sitting around in the heat just twiddling your thumb. So they take on this project as a mission and they take great pride in it. They build the most beautiful bridge imaginable with the most rudimentary materials. And they came to the very end and they had a little grand opening ceremony and Sir Alec Guinness is playing the, 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 the lead British commander in the POW camp. And he's walking up and down that bridge looking at just what his hands had done, everything that his hands had done. And he was so thankful and they could hear the train whistling in the distance coming to make its inaugural run over. And none of them knew that there's another group of allied commandos that's made it their mission in life to blow the bridge up. And they're hiding behind rocks and they, under the cover of darkness, rigged the lines and rigged the explosives. And there's one guy hidden behind the rock with the plunger ready to blow the thing up. And Alec Guinness, not knowing any of this is happening, he's looking around and he sees this wire and he begins to follow the wire. Something is not right. And he follows the wire and all these commandos see what he's doing and they think he's going to mess the whole thing up. Don't do it. And then he sees the plunger and he begins to put two and two together. And what is so ironic is at that point when you think, okay, he's going to get it, he tries to stop them. And he ends up being killed by an exploding mortar and falling on the plunger and himself blowing the bridge up. But he didn't want it to be blown up. That was the work of his hands, the work of their busyness, the work of everything that they thought was great. They became so focused on what they were doing that they thought was important that they missed the entire larger mission of the war, which was like to defeat the enemy. And it can happen in church every day of the week and twice on Sunday if we're not careful. This is the main thing right here. The larger mission of helping others in becoming like Christ, making disciples who follow Jesus with their whole heart. It's a timely reminder as we begin this new year together. Our mission at Hillcrest is to help people in what? Becoming like Christ by worshiping God, connecting with others, and serving the world. Are you growing as a follower of Jesus? Are you investing in helping others to live biblically?